Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, joined as always by Seppi Haynes, and this week we are talking about, well, I mean, what do you think we're talking about? I mean, <laughs> did you not see what happened at UFC 278? Um, there is some other news to get to, including Tony Ferguson's next fights and potentially Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal and more. Uh, Steffi, are you still in disbelief over Saturday night? I am. <laughs> in a big way, what in the world? Talk about a comeback from, from the ages. That was insane, incredible. What a story. Yeah, it, it truly was something special. And no doubt the last two fights, I think, saved this card mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was not really. It, the early prelims were, were great, and then the televised prelims uh, outside of the Fletcher-Losa fight were a rough watch. And then the, the first couple of fights on the main card had no business being on the main card at all. I mean, not every fight that ends in a finish also means that the fight was good or worthwhile. Uh, and then Aldo's fight was deeply disappointing, and we'll get to him in a second. But the top two fights produced the, the chaos in different ways. I mean, Costa versus Rockhold was always going to produce something batshit insane. And little did we know that the fight would A, go the distance, and B, end with one fighter smearing their blood intentionally all over the other fighter. And then the main events. We got a new champion, and I should make it clear, Leon Edwards winning the title was not the, like the, the grandest shock of them all. And, of course, Steffi, you, you said you wouldn't have been shocked if Edwards had won it. Anton and Victor had both picked Edwards outright. But the context of how this happened is what makes it one of the most shocking comebacks we have ever seen in UFC history, and I'll go further, MMA history. Uh, Leon Edwards w- won the first round against Kamaru Usman. He's the first guy to take him down. Uh, at least in the UFC, because I don't know if he's been taken down the regional scene, but I bet that's the first time he's ever been taken down, period. And he got full mount. Just uh, Edwards' wrestling is is very underrated, and and that was impressive. It clearly got him the first round. But rounds two through four, Edwards very rarely managed any sort of sustained offense. Usman clearly won the, the following three rounds, and they were increasingly lopsided. And in fact, Edwards was getting outstruck. He was getting outwrestled. He was looking tired. And then the fifth round happened, and, you know, we don't see Leon Edwards in positions where he's got to come back and win because usually he's winning. And when he is winning, it's not a case where he's dropping the first round and winning the last two. He's normally jumping out to a lead. And it didn't look like a knockout was coming. It didn't look like anything was coming because that's just not his history. He's gotten some knockdowns. He's gotten a couple of finishes in his career in the UFC, but he's not a prolific finisher. And then to un unleash that head kick i know uh i think dane had called the results uh, or, or the knockout lucky i will disagree with that i, I called too. it a fr- I, I called it a freak result and somebody in the youtube comments section was was annoyed that i said that but it's a freak result because of the way that fight happened mm-hmm. um it, that's not to say that that edwards is not deserving of, of being a champion or anything like that but if i were to tell you that edwards would be down 3-1 and the first three minutes of round five, he really wasn't doing a whole lot to, to, to make a case to, to finish the fight. And then that happened. That has an element of, of freakiness to it that I don't know if that's repeatable more times than not. But what a way for Leon to win. 
and he's a great story. I mean, just, just he's been through a lot personally. He's been through a lot in his UFC career. I mean, he's he had a long layoff between the Dos Anjos fight and the um, and the Nate Diaz fights, or rather the Bilal Muhammad fights. And a lot of that was COVID, but some other things. He's waited. He's gotten his title shot, and now he's the one who rules the roots at 170. Just incredible. Yeah, I mean. I refer to it as a Hail Mary because that's basically what it is. A Hail Mary is thrown with intent. It's basically you reach down deep and you pull out the last weapon you've got and you throw it with everything you've got. It's very intentional. A lucky shot is not intentional. It's You're just throwing wild and something happens to land. There's a big difference in the two. And... I think that he threw a Hail Mary. I I think your description is also quite perfect. It was a, a freaky result. It really was. It's something that nobody in the world would have expected. But man, how interesting is 170 right now because of it? Oof, I love this. It's nice to see a little shakeup in there. Yeah, and uh, I know I got a lot of responses to this on Twitter. This goes to show you how difficult it is to defend that belt as many times mm-hmm. as, as you can. I mean, GSP did it, what, nine times? Yeah. And that was with the torn ACL in, in, in between uh, him having to take time off and then there be an interim belt created. He's still the greatest welterweight of all time at the very least until further notice. Usman could still get there. I mean, he can win the Edwards rematch. He could have several more title defenses after this. And then I would reconsider. But until then... All of the, the there have been quite a bit of talk about Usman replacing GSP as the greatest welterweight ever. Uh uh-uh, doesn't work that way. And also GSP's resume before even getting his first championship belt was already extremely impressive. So uh, I'm not having it with the but he lost to Matt Serra. Yeah, he also won the rematch in absolutely incredible fashion. Mm-hmm. So Edwards uh, back in 2015, and I did not remember this. But um, this was mentioned on, on Twitter and on SureDog. He fought Pavel Pavlak, who is a guy that I doubt many people would remember. And in the third round of that fight, Pavlak ducked, dipped his head to his right, and Edwards knocked him down with the left high kick. And if I get the Twitter handle right, at Sandhagen Season, S-Z-N at the end, Will, he said on August 18th, Usman dies to this high kick. And uh, in terms of... Uh, the fight, yeah, he, he, he got KO'd as a result of the exact same strike. And Pavlak survived that head kick. He didn't get knocked out. He lost a decision. Usman got KO'd. It was just a wonderful shot. A great, uh, it's a great strategy because Usman has that tendency to dip his head. And that might work in boxing. But when there are kicks involved, that opens the door for that, for that high kick to be thrown. We saw it last week. Mm-hmm. With, with Dominic Cruz and Marlon Vera. So to me, that's brilliant on Edwards' part. Uh, certainly a lot of uh, regrettable takes from the commentary booth, except John Attic and know, Dean right? Thomas, because I think they were pretty much burying Leon and, and ready to put him six feet under. I don't think he was broken in there. Yeah, he, he was definitely not in good shape in terms of his cardio or anything, but he wasn't giving up in there. He wasn't conceding a takedown weekly or anything in the fifth round. Um, it's just a case of he fights uh, like in a metronome style. Uh-huh. I mean, he, he doesn't have a, an incredibly high output, but he's also not in, remarkably low like Aldo was against Avalish Philly. He fights at one pace, whether he's comfortably ahead or if he's, in this sense, it's trailing. And that's just how he fights. But it's worked for him. And 
what makes this outcome so dramatic is Edwards has had more than a few fights where he's lost the last round, including in the Diaz fight. And we've never seen Usman in serious trouble, ever. That's what makes it a freak result. We've seen him buzz a couple of times against Covington. We've seen him dropped early by Gilbert Burns. Um, but this was just the kick for the ages. And for my money, it's a better comeback than Anderson Silva against Chael Sonnen. Yes, I agree. I, I think that it was incredible. But his style is going to leave him open to, for someone like um, uh, a welterweight-sized Yuri Prohaska or somebody really dynamic like that to come along and just snatch it away like that, you know, in an instant. That's the problem with that metronome style that you mentioned is that someone really dynamic is going to take it from him. Yeah, possibly so. Uh, we'll, we'll find out in due time because we assume there will be a trilogy next because that's what Dana White wants to do. I guess we can uh, put to rest permanently, actually, Usman, the light heavyweight. Uh, that's not happening. And what did I say on Level Change last weekend? I really get wary of fighters when they're jumping ahead, thinking about going to other weight classes and in Usman's case, going up two weight classes and they do it the week of a title defense. And well, you, I think you, you we all agreed result. on that. Actually, I, we all were saying that. It's like this is the fight gods have have a uh, <laughs> they they work in mysterious ways, and you know what, Edwards? I think Usman admitted that Leon is the better technical striker, and we know that Edwards is a more technical striker. He's just not a guy known for extreme power. Usman has developed a serious power striking game, and in the end, it's the technique that won. That was a picture-perfect head kick. Usman might have buzzed Edwards a few times, especially in the clinch. That really surprised me how, how unable Edwards was to mount any consistent offense in his clinch striking. But Edwards threw a, a head kick that should just be displayed by coaches everywhere. Like, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely want to see a trilogy. I mean, Ed, Usman might have lost that fight. I still favor him in a trilogy. But that produces some caution about the ways that Edwards can catch Usman on the feet. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. One uh, thing I don't want to see, Masvidal Oh, Edwards. my goodness. No, let's not. Let's put that to bed right now. And I think Masvidal is well and truly past the point of his expiration anyways. I don't want to see that. Yes, I mean, there are two obvious problems. One, Edwards would beat Masvidal. And two... Masvidal's in the middle of some legal trouble after his sucker punch of Colby. I think he's thrown away a lot of his goodwill lately. Yeah. And these last three fights of his have not been competitive. Nope. The first Usman fight, you can give him a break because it was short notice and he had to travel to Abu Dhabi for it. Second fight, he got KTFO'd in a way that we've never seen him get knocked out like that. Third fight, he had like one moment against Colby and that was it. He just meekly accepted the, the, the way the rest of the fight happened. He got out-wrestled a bunch. He got outstruck. Mm-hmm. He, his, his welterweight run, and I said this on Sunday, it involves a lot of opportunism. It was, it was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. The Darren Till win was legit because Till had just fought for the title. The Askren win is kind of sort of legit, but you know, it was cool. It was super cool. But we know that if Askren had more fights in the UFC during that run, he probably doesn't beat any of the other top welterweights. And then... Um, the Nate Diaz fight, Nate Diaz is not a welterweight contender. He might have almost hurt the current, he might have almost beaten the current champion with a comeback knockout of his own, but he didn't, and he's not a welterweight contender. So we've also seen his fights before that, losing to Wonderboy, badly in fact, losing to Damian Maya, 
losing splits to Benson Henderson and Lorenz Larkin. So where is the contender status at 170? It is essentially the Till fight and the, the flying knee against Askren and then maybe the Donald Cerrone fight. I mean, that that's he, he shouldn't be that high up in the rankings anymore. So I think what this has done, leave Masvidal aside, opens the door again for Colby. And I don't want to think about Colby Covington as UFC welterweight champion, but you know what? <laughs> I think that Leon Edwards can beat Colby. I think so, too. Definitely. I don't think Colby will go into that good night very gently, though. I really no. don't. I think he'll put up a good fight. And that's a fight where it's anybody, it's any man's fight. Yeah. I mean, you think about Colby's wrestling, <laughs> so you got to respect that. And uh, I noticed that people were wondering if Usman's body breaking down and in would impact his wrestling other than the first round we got taken down it didn't seem he seemed fine to me get getting edwards down the last uh couple of rounds in particular the third and fourth but colby pressure fighter throws in much higher volume than usman does with with less power admittedly but unlike usman covington is not great with sustained top control yeah so if edwards can find a way to keep getting back up or even sweeping covington mm -hmm. i can see him getting a reversal on Covington and making him work off of his back, which you don't see too often out of Colby's fights. And um, Colby's defense, if people are worried about Usman's defense not being the best, Colby's is hardly airtight. Yeah. He's just very, very durable and tough. Um, but I feel like Edwards has a chance there. So opens the door for Colby, reopens it. Um, we were supposed to get Leon versus Hamza before Leon got COVID. Mm-hmm. And if Kamzat beats Nate Diaz and maybe he waits around for, for the trilogy to happen, we could get Leon versus Hamzat, and I'd, I'd be down for that too. And uh, even Gilbert Burns mm -hmm. is suddenly back in the mix. Basically, the people that Usman have beaten who are still relevant with the exception of, of Masvidal, um, they have a route back for as long as Edwards is the champion. Now, if Usman wins the trilogy, then sorry, folks, I don't need to see Usman Colby 3. Maybe we see Usman versus Burns 2. But, you know, it's, it's not exactly something that I'm clamoring for. And let's not forget Bilal Muhammad because of the unfortunate way that fight ended with the eye poke. And uh, Edwards has got to stop that, by the way, because he, he poked Usman as well. That was a no contest. Bilal Muhammad, if he beats Sean Brady, he's probably not getting a title shot next. But even if it's not a big pay-per-view main event type of fight, Leon versus Bilal, too, for the belt is suddenly in play. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Yeah, I I don't I think Leon wins that fight fairly easily though because he was handily winning it before the eye poke. Going back to Colby, one thing that Colby has too that uh, would aid him in this is his volume striking. I mean, the dude is a machine, so that that also figures into it. I saw someone on Twitter and I can't remember who it was, but they suggested that Kamaru was possibly affected by the the elevation and that made me laugh because um he trains at elevation i mean the name of the camp he's training at is called elevation is it not yeah I, edwards <laughs> I mean, might have been affected by it because he yeah, was noticeably sure, edwards, flagging not, usman not looked fresh yeah he did not look tired he just got caught it happens exactly that's the nature of combat sports it's it's more pronounced in mma because there are more ways to win but it can happen in boxing too I mean, you, it takes one punch in boxing, even if you're not a big puncher. Uh, and it takes any singular strike or, or any singular serious submission attempt in MMA. And suddenly you can go from down big 
to getting your hand raised. And that that's why we love the sport so much. But um, yes, Leon Edwards is the champion. Uh, I've we, there's been some level of underestimating. I've done it. Uh, certainly I, I picked a, picked him to win more often than not. But picking him to become champion is something that I paused on. But you can't take that away from him. His post fight interview was was awesome. And I tell you what, as much as I got on the crowd for booing that fight with like a, 10 seconds before the knockout for them to go from booing to chanting Rocky. That was pretty cool. They treated him all right. Yep, they, they treated him well. Salt Lake City's crowd was a lot better than I had anticipated. It does not mean I will stop shitting on the Utah Jazz. Anyway, the <laughs> hey, co-main event... did you event... like all the little, the, the cutesy little clips they had in the lead-up to the event? Some of those things were hilarious. You yeah, know, all the I, tourism I have... board stuff that they did for the city, for the uh, city of Salt Lake and for the state of Utah. I mean, they did all these little things for the tourism board, and it, it was insanely funny. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And Luke Rockhold did one of those, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yes, he yep. did. And here he is, uh, now retired, presumably. Uh, if That post-fight interview felt like a de- declarative mm-hmm. retirement statement. When you say, I'm effing old and I don't have it any, I, I can't do this anymore, that feels like a retirement statement. But emotions are running high. Maybe we'll get an official, like a proper statement later on. But him and Paulo Costa, that, that was 15 minutes of mayhem. That Costa clearly won, but he was in trouble more than a few times. Mm-hmm. He got caught clean a bunch. I think Costa is is, is not exactly uh, difficult. Uh, I mean, he's not difficult to hit, but he is difficult to put away unless you're like Adesanya and it's just so much precision that it overwhelms you. But Costa's taken some heavy shots and, and withstood a lot of them. And against Rockhold, though, it's a case of he busted him up early and Rockhold was just... He was in, in a bad way with that nose. He was doubled over like like it was Kimbo against Houston Alexander. I, I think it is time for, for Rockhold to call it a career because if that's how he's g- going to perform, and it wasn't like a, a, an atrocious performance, but if his cardio is not going to be there in a few minutes, then that doesn't bode well for any like miraculous title run. And everything he said about the UFC and fighter pay and, and treatments and this and that, it's probably best to just walk away from the sport once and for all and, and preserve your health as much as possible. Indeed, for sure. I mean, Luke isn't getting any younger. He's had a lot of medical issues. I mean, the 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 shin cover that he wore in there is a prime example of that because when you see that, you kind of know his shin is busted up underneath. It's not the first time that he's worn that out to cover up an injury, too. He wasn't favoring it, though. I mean, he launched that high kick several times, but... I feel like the UFC is just cruel in the way that they match things, especially putting these two guys on a card that was at elevation. I mean, they would have been better served to to fight somewhere else where they could breathe a little easier because I would have liked to have seen Luke not winded to shit in the middle of the first round or towards the end of the first round. I know it was by by the end of the first round, he was tired, breathing out of his mouth. He'd already been dropped. Um, And Paulo looked pretty winded as well. I just, the old guys didn't fare well here at all because Aldo looked like shit too. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the air is so damn thin up there. But yeah, I I enjoyed the fight for for what it was. But I said at the time, I went back and I deleted it because I regretted saying it. 
but I felt it there about midway through the fight. I said, and I tweeted this out, cut them both <laughs> because uh, I was pretty, I was pretty disgruntled with how bad it was going for, on both sides. Costa looked like shit. I mean, yeah, it, it was a slobber knocker and yeah, Luke left it all in the cage. As they say, it was full of heart and guts and grit and all that. But I mean, that was a sloppy fight. Sure. It was a slobber, a slobber knocker, but it was sloppy. It was hilarious, mm -hmm. and I disagree with having those two fight at Elevation. I want a rematch, a farewell fight for Rockhold at the very least. It doesn't have to be under UFC contract, after all. You know, you never know if Costa has the next fight on his deal. turns out he actually has one fight left on his contract. He's not a free agent now. And then he chooses not to resign, has a rematch with Rockhold. They go to Machu Picchu instead oh my and God. do it at 25 minutes. <laughs> God, you are evil and you hate, you clearly hate MMA. <laughs> that, that, that fight was hilarious and, and, and awkward and, and everything else I could, uh, under the sun. The but... blood, the blood. I will say this, Luke, I felt like Luke was getting revenge for what um, Yoel Romero did to him when he had him pinned up against the cage and kissed him. <laughs> Yeah, th those two really deserved each other, Costa and Rocco, with all the, the back and forth mm -hmm. throughout the week and then the way the fight played out. I was wildly entertained, and who would have mm -hmm. thunk? Who would have thunk? That's the second time I've said that on this, this, this segment, that Paulo Costa, or rather, this would be the first time that Luke Rockhold has lost a decision. All of his other losses have been by knockout or TKO. Yeah. And Paulo Costa, who's got a pretty good track record of finishing fighters when he wins... He couldn't put him away in 15 minutes. And it felt like any big shot landing to the face of Rockhold was going to put him down. His mouth was hanging wide open. It was begging to, to get broken, his jaw. He was hanging there, slack-jawed a lot of that fight. I mean, yeah, there was points in the fight where he literally put his hands on his knees, was so winded, bent over, trying to catch his breath, and Paulo still couldn't finish him. Paulo couldn't finish his sandwich in that fight. Yeah, because he, he spent his money in the first five minutes, too. I mean, it, it's just a case of, of Costa's bad decision-making. And I love that as exhausted as they both were, they decided, I'm going to throw the most energy-sapping strikes imaginable. Like, I, I've just recovered from a low blow. It's time to throw a 360 roundhouse kick. Yeah, I, so. I did like how Luke was able to reverse there in that third round. He just summoned the last bit of strength and, and managed to reverse follow. That that was no easy feat considering how tired they were. Yeah. So for, for Rockhold, hey, that was a three-plus-year layoff. So that is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who's had not just bad chin problems, but also a, an extensive injury history, including a herniated disc, um, at, at his age, he's 38 mm -hmm. in a couple months. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's accomplished quite a bit in his career. He might not be the most popular fighter. even He's not the most popular fighter in the UFC's offices, for sure, as of last week. Um, but even among fans in general, he, he's never been overly well-received. But still, Strikeforce champion, UFC champion. And um, for somebody who's only had 22 professional fights in, in 15 years, I mean, there's not too much to be ashamed about with the way his career has gone. Not too many people could say, that they, they were a UFC middleweight champion. And I wish him the best in retirement. And it feels like the end of an era for AKA. Yeah. yeah because he's like the last holdover. Cormier was commentating the fight. Khabib is retired. I mean, Makachev is, is, is still around, but like the old guard of AKA mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And he was definitely a part of that. 
Yep, him. Kane, unfortunately, is dealing with uh, with his attempted murder case, but he's been long retired. And what is the theme for quite a few of those AKA fighters, unfortunately, is injuries. Yeah. Did you see the little clip where he's walking back to the locker rooms and somebody taps him on the shoulder and he turns around, he's so dejected, and he sees it's Daniel, and they just hug, they embrace so tight, and he, they, he's crying in it, and oh my God. When he was crying, I was just, woof. Man. Yeah, that 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 was that that was difficult, and it's a tight bond that that camp has, and, right. and we've known that for forever. And it must have been uncomfortable for Cormier to even be watching that and commentating and trying to be neutral because it, we saw some glimpses of the old Rockhold, mm-hmm. and we also saw an old Luke Rockhold. We did, we did. So we saw those the, the beginnings of an old Paulo, though. I don't know if it's old Paulo or just energy sap, wind machine, gas guzzling Paulo. He's just a deeply flawed, entertaining fighter. And for that, as much stupid shit as he says on Twitter or the way he behaves outside the cage, um, I, I think he's appointment viewing. Yeah. <laughs> because the Vittori fight was very fun. And supposedly, and I'm just reading this on the MMA Hour, I think Jed Goodman's doing the, the good work here. He, his purse was 35000 <gasps> off immediately after a title fight. If that's true, that is awful. That is awful. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's 35000 after tax and something got lost in, in, in translation, but I think it, it probably was just 35000 But, you know, I got to pull up the Romero fight. No, nah, that can't be real because he fought Romero and his purse was 60K, 60K. Yeah. So maybe he's talking after tax and after the cut of mm. it with split with managers or whatever, but it probably isn't a big purse he's dealing with. That part's probably true. Yeah. It's probably not 35000 gross. I don't think so. Yep. Now, the last thing here, and it's really the last thing we're talking about on this card because, you know, the first two fights, not good. And then Alexander Romanov, uh, certainly a disappointment with the way that he gassed. Yeah. Uh, no more heavyweights at elevation. That part, nope. Yeah. We don't need to do that. No old uh, guys either. Don't put the old guys at elevation because this next topic, I think elevation had a, a part to play here, too. Yeah, well, Leo Santos fought, uh, he's 42, he's fought at elevation, he doesn't have good cardio anyway, and he he was spent without even throwing much. But Jose Aldo, he he stopped all the takedowns. I mean, his takedown defense remains as impeccable as ever. It's just the whole not throwing part mm-hmm. that was the annoyance, and I don't get the people who scored this for, for Aldo off the first two rounds. I, don't I think that was kind of just wishing for Aldo to win, and I was wishing for Aldo to win. But Navalish Philly slightly outstruck him. Um, just well, he outstruck him based on the third round, but he just he did more. And this is one of those cases where, as far as damage versus volume, the damage was so little that the volume has to win out. Yes. And the inconsequential strikes, you know, the soft knees to the thigh or whatever, that means more to me than Aldo throwing one body shot. And that's that to me was the story of the fight. And I feel like, and Phil McKenzie's kind of brushed upon this. Aldo's cage crafts, I think, was a big disappointment because you just let Navalish Billy dictate the terms of the fight. It felt a lot like the Volkanovsky fight, but uglier. Um, and for Aldo, I wonder if the fear of gassing as a result of stopping the takedowns and throwing more. Like, he was worried that if he was active with his striking, if he threw in combination, that would compromise his takedown defense and he'd get taken down. And that just sucks to see. But, it, uh, you know, Marab shouldn't get any booze for that. It wasn't an exciting fight. But um, we know that he's more capable of exciting fights than that. I was wowed by how pro-Aldo that crowd was. I mean, that shows you what respect that mm-hmm. Jose has. He is a legend. I mean, there's no other way to put it. 
He has had a legendary career. He's still living legendary style. I, I can forgive this. Can you? I can. I, th- I still think he hangs very, very well in the top five. Yeah, it's just a matter of who he fights next. Mm-hmm. But I, I have just seen, not Aldo saying it, but uh, S- Davalashvili was also on the MMA Hour, I believe. And he, he said that Aldo told him that he was done fighting. What? So Aldo could be retiring. Maybe that was a heat of the moment thing. Wow. He said, this was, he said, this was my last run. I'm, I'm done after this fight. So that's what he told Ariel. So Merab announcing that seems weird. So I think we're going to have to comment, uh, have Aldo comment on that. But I wouldn't want to see Jose retire on Me that either. fight. Not that one. Gosh, no. Please don't. I don't want to see him retire just yet because I think that he still has something there for, for these guys inside the top 10, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so suddenly, as as much as I, I poo-pooed it on um, sixth round, screw it, make the cruise fight. Mm-hmm. I like you it. You can probably retire on a win that way. For sure, absolutely. Now, we're going to move on to another old guy that is in need of a reset. <laughs> Boy, does he. And that's Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson is 38. He's going to be 39 in February. So he is definitely knocking on 40's door. And he's not looking good. He's on a four-fight losing streak. And, man, they have been clear, definitive losses. What Michael Chandler did to him is just, ooh, he has been memed because of it. And now, according to MMA junkies Mike Bone, um, Tony Ferguson is going to move up in weight to welterweight. And his first fight is going to be at... UFC 279 in just a couple of weeks. That's September 10th. And they have him set to take on Chang Lang, Li Jing Liang. And I just think that is the cruelest thing ever to have Li Jing Liang be who welcomes you to welterweight. Somebody with crazy knockout power. And that seems to be Tony's kryptonite is his chin. His chin is not durable anymore. I mean, I have to say that somewhere along the lines of Lando Venata that we started seeing some, some serious erosion in his chin. I mean, Venata managed to really, really tear him apart there in that first round. Sure. Tony recovered, but I sort of see that as the beginning of the end. I don't know why I, he had several wins after that, but it always seemed like he had to go through a, a gauntlet to get his wins and then he stopped getting the wins. And now we're here at 170 facing Li Jingliang. Man, this is not a must win for Jingliang either. It's definitely a must win for Tony, though. I feel like if he doesn't get this win, I don't know if the UFC is, is going to do him a solid and, and give him another fight because that would be five straight. Tell you what, it says a lot about how not good 279 is that mm-hmm. Ferguson Jingliang is easily the second or third best fight on this card right and this is a cobbled together fight on on three weeks notice essentially because the card's on september 10th um i guess i'll announce maybe one more fight but man this show is uh heavily dependent on nate diaz Mm -hmm. probably staying on the card well if either one of those two is is off the card that's a problem but if nate is off the card then i don't know what you do have hamza just fight some live body probably fight one of the Nelk boys. Okay, maybe I'll pay for that. But 
I don't I don't know if Ferguson's chin is a problem. I mean, Chandler knocked the the front kick Chandler knocked him out with would have knocked out a horse. But his slowness, his reduced speed, mm-hmm. his reduced reflexes, his failing reflexes, and, and the fact that he's just getting physically overmatched, yeah. like he was against Oliver and Dariush, those are bigger concerns to me. I think Jing Liang can knock him out. Um, it, it wouldn't be shocking, but I also can see Jing Liang just outpointing him. Now, Jing Liang is unlikely to just take this to the ground or anything. I doubt he wants yeah. to go grapple with Ferguson, but we've seen that Ferguson's grappling is, is more of a, a topside, funky, funky deal. Right. Like as far as him having this aggressive guard and trying to do stuff from his back, doesn't work against Oliveira Dariush. I don't think Jing Liang is going to put Ferguson on his back right. um, through, through wrestling or anything like that. So. If Ferguson wins this, then good. Stay at 170, and and then just you know don't don't kill yourself to to make 155 anymore because I think his cuts to 155 are right. pretty difficult. If he loses to Li Jingliang, it's probably time to hang him up. Yeah, and part of his success at 155 was his size. He was the big guy at 155 for a long time. He was so much bigger than everybody else. And now he's he's not going to be the big guy, and he's probably going to be a lot slower too. Yeah, and it's not just the age; it is also the fights that he's been in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Gaethje fight. Ooh, forget right. the Chandler fight. The Gaethje mm-hmm. fight, I think, took years off of his fighting career. Yes. that was the end of Tony Ferguson as we knew him, right there and then. And he hurt Gaethje in the second round. He he, he had him rocked. Yeah, but that was really his only great moment. After that, he was just getting tattooed. And that's probably the best Gaethje that has ever fought. Um, but that ended his winning streak, and he's looked progressively worse. With, with the, uh, I guess the first round he won against Chandler, but he looked bad against Oliver. He looked worse against Dariush. Mm-hmm. And then we finally saw saw him get sparked out in a way that uh, had never happened before. Right. So this is not an easy fight. I mean, th- they're cobbling this fight together on, on short notice. He's fighting a top 15 welterweight. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. So I think that there's a significant chance that Li Jing Liang ends up stopping him, and or at least beating him if he doesn't stop him. And let's not forget, Li Jing Liang is very difficult to, to to knock out. He's never been knocked out. He's been submitted a couple of times. Like Chimaya probably could have knocked him out with, with strikes, but he just kind of mercy subbed him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think Nakamura, the Keita Nakamura fight, I believe he got rocked and then submitted afterward. But... Uh, he, he hasn't been rocked too many times that I can recall. And Ferguson, all of his, his flashy striking, I think it's just having diminishing returns at this point. And Lee probably can find ways to counter him. Yes, indeed. So that first round will tell us a lot about Ferguson and how much he has left. But I hope he still has something left so that I'm not sad when watching the card because <laughs> suddenly... A card with Nate Diaz in his final UFC fight and Tony Ferguson on it possibly in his final UFC fight could make uh, a whole lot of depressing moments for fans. Oh, yes. I don't want to see it. <laughs> so in the meantime, couldn't, couldn't they have just done like, well, of course, Tom's had just fought Li Jing Liang. If they had done Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, that would have been better. Oh, yeah. See, I wouldn't have minded that at all. I still would have <laughs> given uh, Diaz the edge, though. I don't know, but at least it would have been worth trying. I mean, that fight could have happened at 155 years ago. Yes. If that happens at 170, I, I would have been cool with that too. But what we could also see at 170, and this is a welterweight-centric show, obviously, with what happened last weekend and other other news that's uh, come about over the last couple of days, Gilbert Burns 
revealed pretty uh, recently in, a re- in an interview with MMA Junkie that he's verbally agreed to fight Jorge Masvidal. He said, uh, nothing done yet. A lot of talks about the fight with Masvidal. He verbally agreed. I did too. They're just figuring out the date, presumably the UFC. No date yet. November was too close, so December or January. At least I know I have an opponent. So number one would be MSG in November, but he said no for that date. December or January, I can wait like 20 more days to go to Brazil. I'm looking forward to go to the Brazil card. So that Brazil card would be UFC 283 in Rio de Janeiro, and that's the first time that the UFC has had a show there in front of a packed Brazilian venue since uh, 2019 because, of course, in 2020, they wanted to do the show in Brasilia. They did do it, but the COVID restrictions had just begun, so they had to do it behind closed doors. Um, So Masvidal, we know his story. We just talked about him a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. But for Gilbert Burns, he's coming off a loss to Hamzat Shemaya, but he gave Hamzat a lot to think about. It was by far the most we've ever seen Hamzat challenge in his MMA career. Um, no doubt that Jemayev deserved the decision, but Burns definitely had some big moments against Hamzat. Um, he also beat Wonderboy uh, after the loss to Kamar Usman. So he's got a win over Wonderboy, a competitive fight against Hamzat Jemayev. We know that preceding the Usman fight, he beaten Tyron Woodley and Damian Meyer and Gunnar Nelson. His his move from lightweight to welterweight has paid dividends. Um, if this fight does happen, whether it's at UFC 282 in December or UFC 283 in Rio de Janeiro in January. I am favoring Burns pretty much 100% of the way. Yeah, me too. I, I don't think Masvidal has much of a chance here. Burns will probably stop him with a big KO because he has that one-hitter quitter too. Yeah, he's one of those who is a jiu-jitsu guy who can be justifiably confident in striking. Yes. He has a right to fall in love with his hands. Yes. Because look what he did to, to Usman early in the fight. Mm. Now, after that fight, after, after that moment, then he got befuddled by a jab. Yeah. But he still knocked Damian Maia out, which, what, only Nate Marquardt's ever done? So, I mean, and that was a wicked hook, too. Um, he, he's gotten some big knockouts down at lightweight. So he's got power worth respecting. And his grappling is so good that I remember that he was on his back against Maya, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And he was able to slip out, which t- people don't do against Damian Maya. Right. We know that Maya top position is, is iconic, but Burns is, is that talented on the ground. that He's able to get up, get it back to the feet, and he has a pronounced advantage over Maya on that department. Now against Masvidal, um, we know that Masvidal can be a very good striker. He can also throw rounds away due to inactivity. Um, if this is a three-rounder, then uh, I'd cer- certainly all the more reason to favor Burns. And if Masvidal can't land his strikes, I mean, Burns can take him down. Burns has got some good takedowns, too. Yeah. So uh, he, he out-wrestled Wonderboy late, and that's what got him a win in what was a pretty uneventful fight. But I, I just see Masvidal on the decline, and Burns absolutely, and especially if, if Edwards can stay champion for a little bit more, Burns can make another run at the title. Yeah, yeah. He's thirty. He's thirty six. So it better be now. Yeah. yeah. All these guys, even though they they're just entering the title picture over the past few years, they're already getting up there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Certainly so. Well, when some of them have been fighting in other weight classes for a bit, I think that that has an impact. So Kamzat is is the. We we also see the same guys fighting constantly in rematches. I mean, look at Masvidal. You know, Masvidal's already fought Usman twice. Colby's fought him twice. 
Mm-hmm. Kobe's fought Usman twice, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So we've seen rematches there. So it's been hard to find new blood. So for, for Gilbert Burns, this would be a, a worthwhile fight, I think, absence Covington's availability, because I think I'd just rather Burns against Covington. I think that would be fascinating. But you know what? I, I Until I see it, Kobe's track record of fighting the actual in their prime quality welterweights. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's not been deep. I mean, Robbie Lawler is not in his prime, objectively speaking, and he's not even ranked anymore, in fact. Okay, so he's he's clearly been Usman's toughest opponent other than Edwards. And then it's the Masvidal fights and Woodley on a lengthy losing streak. We haven't seen him against Edwards. We haven't seen him against Gilbert Burns. We haven't seen him against Hamza. Shit, we haven't seen him, seen him against Bilal Muhammad, who's been asking for that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm confident that he would beat Wonderboy, especially okay. in 2022. Mm-hmm. But shoot, for all we know, Sean Brady, if he beats Bilal Muhammad, could be an interesting matchup for Covington. So a lot of what happens at welterweight moving forward is going to hinge on whenever the hell Covington gets back. Yeah, I saw a report that Covington was willing to fight up or down. Two. Um, yeah, I don't. Colby at one fifty five. I saw a report that he gave an interview. I want to say it was Submission Radio, um, where he said that he was willing to go up to one eighty five or down to one fifty five. To one eighty five, that could work out because mm-hmm. one eighty five is filled with fighters who probably are not great at, at defensive wrestling and guys who don't handle uh, a serious pace very well. He could crack the top fifteen, I think, at middleweight. Lightweight, Mateus Gamrat absolutely runs through lightweight Kobe Covington. So <laughs> that, that, that's an ill-advised idea, and I, I don't think he should make that move. At 170, though, if he sticks around and fights other actual welterweights, then I'll be intrigued. Um, as for Masvidal, if he fights Burns and loses, I think that's that's a wrap for him. Yeah. Like, functionally, he would be irrelevant because all of that, that all of the memories of the 2019 run that he had would have just dissipated at, at an alarming rate because it's not just the losses. It's the sucker punching at Covington is some of the odd shit that he says on Twitter. It's it's like he, he's, he, he's grown. He went from like the underground fan favorite to, you know, kind of like the, the hardcore MMA fans, best kept secret to, he became beloved by casual fans because of what he did to till Askren and Diaz. But since then there's not been a lot to like. Yeah. Now let me let me read to you a couple of things that Colby has said. We're going to start with 2018, where Colby said, and this is from our Bloody Elbow report in 2018. Colby Covington won three UFC World Titles, uh, 155, 170, 185. Then in November of 2021, he refuses a 155 pound drop, slams bully Dustin Poirier. Then fast forward to just July 19th of this year. This is being relayed through Dana White. And this is via MMA Weekly that Colby has told him that he'll fight at 155, 170, or 185. Cool story, Colby. (laughs) So we have this stemming all the way back to 2018. He ran it back in 2021, and then he's all over it again in 2022. So he's definitely out there putting it it in the ears. Mm -hmm. Tell you what, you know who, as we continue to talk about the welterweight division, you know who's kicking himself right now, knowing that Edwards is a champion (laughs) because he's now on this little slide? Vicente Luque. 
Oh, yeah. Because Luke has a loss to Edwards that I'm sure he'd like to get back. And now that he's got consecutive defeats to Mohamed and um, Jeff Neal, that's clearly curtains for him as far as contending. But, uh, yeah, welterweight could could use some more fresh faces. Um, and, and certainly Hamzat is, is a welcome sight, but we're seeing quite a few fighters in, well into their 30s. So a whole lot, I think, over the next three years is going to change in the top 15. And Usman's hardly young either. He's 35. Yeah. Yep, so uh, we'll, we'll keep tabs on whether Burns Masvidal happens anytime soon. Uh, in the meantime, let's see what else happened on a busy, busy weekend of combat sports. And of course, Lord Usyk, before UFC 278 began, well, technically speaking, it, uh, the, the main event bled over into the start of UFC 278, but Usyk gets the win over Anthony Joshua, a pretty compelling fight, especially towards the, the, the back end of it. He got a split decision. Glenn Feldman should have his license removed mm-hmm. for scoring that fight 7-5 Joshua and giving the 12th round to Joshua too. You've got to be on, on some sort of narcotic to give him that round. Um, I had a 161-12. I also and- had it the same. I just have to stick that in there. When I watched this, I clearly had it for him because I went and I watched it immediately following uh, UFC and I thought Usyk clearly won it. I don't know where this split came from. Yeah. Um, I think there was a there was some bad judging earlier. The the, the Hergovich Zhang Lee fight was easily one of the worst robberies of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main event, for neutrality purposes, they had a U.S. judge Feldman, a British judge uh, whose name escapes me, and a, and a Ukrainian judge. And the British judge also scored it for Usyk. He had a 115-113, which I think is stretching it, but it's still reasonably fair. So it's the same setup as the last fight where they had one judge from each fighter's respective countries and then a neutral judge from, from another nation. I think it was an American judge last time. Feldman is out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but Usyk, he, he did get touched up a bit in that ninth round. And it had me thinking, has Joshua figured something out? He did make a great adjustment with the body shots, which has been the one way to, to impact Usyk in, in some of his tougher fights. But Usyk, from, 10th, from round 10 to 12, Ooh. is just another monster altogether it is Lomachenko-esque and it's more insane considering he's a heavyweight now I mean Joshua didn't do a lot of holding for much of that fight but he was holding on for dear life those last couple rounds (laughs) yes he was and you know I was worried going into this and I talked to you about it but I was worried going into this because Usyk decided to pack on a bunch of uh, of muscle and I thought to myself oh that might affect his his long stretch cardio but man after watching rounds 11 and 12, I am not worried at all. Yeah, and at 221, he, he didn't weigh much heavier than he did the first fight. So any right. thought of him um, bulking up or, or gaining more uh, gaining more weights, that, that was uh, torn up right there. Joshua only gained like four more pounds. So it was relatively similar weights. For Joshua, I think part of his issue is he's too stiff. Mm-hmm. And, and that's independent of Usyk. He's a he's a great boxer, I think. He he's he's very great. He's just not an all time great. Right. Um, he was a breath of fresh air at a time when heavyweight was in the mud, and he was the exciting guy getting all the knockouts. He gave us the classic with Klitschko, and I don't hold these two losses against him against mm-hmm. Usyk. What's going to be the mark on his on his ledger is, is the Andy Ruiz fight. Yeah, I was going to say the Andy Ruiz fight is going to look terrible for him though. 
Yeah, and I know Ruiz is fighting Luis Ortiz in a couple weeks on pay-per-view, which um, thanks to winning a contest, I will watch for free because God knows I'm not paying pay-per-view money to watch that as a main event. Um, Andy but still, looks good, though. Have you seen how slim and trim he is? My ab- God. It's like a whole different person. I know. I couldn't be any more sad <laughs> and furious. <laughs> it's like the people who t- – it's like the, the – the, Derek Lewis starting to learn how to wrestle. Like, I don't need this in my life. <laughs> but, but yeah, Usyk said that if he's not fighting Tyson Fury, he's not fighting at all. And, I mean, think about his record extending back to the amateurs. Deep amateur record, especially for somebody who started boxing at age 15. Yeah. Olympic gold medal, undisputed cruiserweight champion, having done so in a ridiculously tough st- and, and very stacked cruiserweight tournament, a proper tournament, no pullouts. This was... A, a as Luca Bordorn called it, the B1 Grand Prix, not the K1 Grand Prix. Right. And then he defended that belt, all those belts against Tony Bellew. He goes up to heavyweight, and within three fights, he's toppling Anthony Joshua. Fury is really the only guy of of consequence to to fight left. Like I don't really want to see him against Joe Joyce. That's a pointless fight. I think he beats Joe Joyce. Um, and Deontay Wilder is still fighting. He's going to fight in October against Robert Hellenius. Wilder would have always had that power threat. 99% chance he looks like a complete clown against Usyk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Usyk Fury is different because Fury does not care how he wins. That fight could be ugly as sin. And he could try and lean on Usyk, jab and hold and hit and hold, and try and wear on Usyk with that 6'9", 270-plus frame. But it's not like Fury hasn't had trouble with smaller heavies before. I mean, Wilder's a tall heavyweight, but he weighs, he's weighed at 212 before. And also Steve Cunningham knocked him down. And Steve Cunningham's a cruiserweight, and Usyk is much more skilled than than Cunningham and, and Wilder. So uh, certainly um, Usyk versus Fury, if that fight can get made, Usyk's apparently a promotional free agent. He's not with Matchroom and hasn't been for a while. Make the fight. It's not going to sell Buptis here, but it, it would pack Wembley Stadium. Oh, yeah. I like it. Let's do and it. Noti- and notice how I said Wembley Stadium, because I'll be damned if we keep having these fights in the Middle East. <laughs> I mean, the atmosphere just didn't hit the same way. No, it because didn't. Because unlike... When Joshua fought Ruiz in the in I think um, it might have been Riyadh. It, it was or, or I can't remember which city in Saudi Arabia. This indoor venue in, in Jeddah, it was mostly a Saudi crowd, and there were a, a, a patch of Ukrainian fans and a patch of Joshua fans, but it just didn't feel the same. No, not at all. Yep. I just wonder what's next for Joshua because again, he's only lost to two people. He avenged the Ruiz fight, but he's just not better than Usyk. I think he certainly lost some points for the tantrum he threw with dropping, grabbing the belts and throwing them out of the ring and then going on uh, some weird soliloquy about whatever with, with his life and then putting Usyk over. At that, if you're going to put Usyk over, let him talk first. And don't throw the, the, the belts around like some petulant child. Yeah, and, and he's admitted that he guess he's got some anger issues or, or whatever, but that was just a bad scene. Mm. And even if he was genuine about praising Usyk as a champion and everything – Again, th- this is like when Macy Barber fought Roxanne Modafferi. Macy somehow got on the mic and, and, and praised Roxy. Like, you didn't win. You, you're not supposed to be going first. And you're not a legend that, that you can get, have the mic first and, and announce your retirement or anything. So, yeah, that was an annoyance for me for Joshua, a rare one for me because I like him. But um, maybe a Dillian White rematch if people are somehow into that. I think that he'd knock White out again. Uh, but you know what? Joshua versus Wilder feels like it's still got some intrigue. Yeah, 
I I want it to happen. I it's the last big heavyweight fight that I really want to see. Well, I take that back. I wouldn't mind seeing Wilder Joshua too, but um yeah, I really want to see Fury and Usyk. I think that would be the 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 final feather in Usyk's cap if he could get that win. And that's a tough one. Mhm. Think of it, 20 fights as a professional and like 40% of them have been in other people's yeah. backyards the, yeah. the opposing fighters backyard so this is a rare time where he wasn't the away fighter so to speak and given what Usyk's been through in his home country with the war in Ukraine it is great to see him back in action and competing and still fighting at a high level um and he, it was just another great performance from him that's he had had his challenges against Joshua at times but he's just a better boxer he throws in combination and he never throws everything with power he's he throws these like throwaway shots Mm-hmm. You know, even power punches that are throwaway shots to set up something bigger. His hand speed is remarkable and his his ring craft is, is tremendous. His footwork. Joshua went from bending his knees to, to his legs being stuck upright at, at the end and in exhaustion. He can't live with that pace. He just can't. No. And really, there are very few people in the world at cruiserweight or heavyweight who can live with that pace. So Joshua, like I said, a very good, a great boxer, just not an all-time great. And no, as some moron replied to me on Twitter, just because you lose twice to, to, to somebody else does not mean you're not a great boxer. Otherwise, I got some news for Chocolatito Gonzalez on the boxing side or Shane Mosley or Roberto Duran and, and a host, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez and a host of other people. Yeah, Some guys just have your number. And definitely so. Usyk's got the number here. <laughs> yes, he does. So that was the boxing side taken care of. Apparently, I missed the Showtime car, but man, Omar Figueroa better retire. I mean, that was uncomfortable watching him uh, after the fact lose to Sergey Lipinets. That was bad. Uh, and Navarrete looked terrible against Eduardo Baez, but he he got the stoppage with the body shot. It's a good thing he didn't box Shakur because that was what they were trying to to, to set up. Oh man, and then that would have been Talks awful. And Navarrete throwing those wild, looping punches. Shakur would be boxing circles around him. It would look, it it would be a classes in session. Yeah. It would be summer school. Yeah, for sure. Now, Usyk wasn't the only Ukrainian to get a big win because KSW was going on on Saturday afternoon. And Bogdan Nidko had the fastest KO in KSW history and, frankly, the fat, one of the fastest KOs in MMA history because you can't get much faster than five seconds. And what did we see? Um, well, his opponent, Damian Puevarchik, I'm, I'm pronouncing that right, he threw a bad low kick. And what do you think happens? Kick caught, lands a right hand, and then as he hits the ground, he's probably knocked out from the fall. But two or three more shots after that, and it is over. He is stiffened. That's a scary knockout. And I, I think about um, who was it a few weeks ago? Jason Witt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was with, kind of the same Josh deal, but Quinlan. quicker. Yeah. It, the same deal, but quicker. But man, I just love KSW's production and their fights. I will forever feel that Dwayne Ludwig has been robbed because he did have a four-second KO, and they have not awarded it to him. Yeah, against Jonathan Goulet. Yeah. Because the, the, the timekeeper just ran it a little longer, right? Right. And so as a result, he doesn't have that distinction because that would give him the fastest KO in UFC history and one of the fastest in all of MMA. And he's been robbed of that. That always chaps my ass, boils my lobster, whatever, grinds my gears. Yeah. And it was, from what I remember, it was like the literal first punch of the fight mm-hmm. and Goulet seemingly was skidding across the cage 
on his head. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, five seconds and good night. So that was a hell of a win. Uh, some other MMA, Kayla Harrison, spoiler alert, she won her fight. And so did Larissa Pacheco. So we're going to get Kayla and yeah. Pacheco for seemingly the 90th time. But uh, it, how, it felt how many like times it. is this three now? I, I think it's the third time. It would have been a fourth if Pacheco, I think, didn't have some sort of uh, injury that prevented her from competing or, or continuing in. No way. She missed weight. Yeah, she had missed weight and was pulled from the tournament. But if we can give Pacheco credit, she's gone the distance both times with Kayla Harrison. And she was, you know, she she went 0-2 in the UFC. But look at the two fighters that she faced, Jessica Andrade and Jermaine Durandamy <laughs> up at up at Bantamweight. So she she's fought the former featherweight champion in the UFC and the former strawweight champion, mm-hmm. both at 135. And she's also stopped her Rene Aldana. She, she stopped her jungle fights. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's looked great in PFL. She she wiped out Elena Kolesnik uh, with, with combination punches. She's a prolific finisher. 17 of her 18 wins are by stoppage. It's just that Kayla Harrison is even more physically imposing than her. Mm-hmm. And maybe she can push her somehow, some way. The, the, the third time could be the charm, but I'm just not seeing it. I mean, I, Harrison I just, the, the, she, she, she's too good. Yeah. And Kayla is such a unique equi- a, a, a problem here in that she's always fighting at 155. You know, the only, the only option, the only solution for her to really prove her worth is to take on Cyborg or, you know, an Amanda Nunes type. Outside of those two women, Kayla will always be this giant question mark. And I will never give her her full props until one of those two women fights her. And I don't see it happening at the rate we're going. She keeps taking the deals with PFL. And that's to her credit in that she's taken the smartest deal with the most money. But it's not doing anything for her legacy. Yeah, and she can keep getting that paper. She secured the bag, but um, I just want to see her in interesting competitive fights. And if she dominates Pacheco again, I mean, at that point, we definitely don't need a fourth fight. She'd be done with tournaments, and we just got to find the right opponents for her that that would produce the fights that we would like to see. So since Nunes isn't an option anytime soon because she's not in the UFC uh, and and still in PFL, Cyborg would be the choice. And Cyborg's fighting a woman with a losing record in boxing soon. (laughs) And and they've been going back and forth on Twitter, PFL, and whoever's managing Cyborg's Twitter account. So I'd like to see Cyborg Harrison. Will it happen? We don't know. We are getting Harrison and Pacheco one more time. And we're also getting Bubba Jenkins and Brendan Lachnan in the featherweight final. Bubba looked great. I thought that he would be something in Bellator, and it just didn't pan out. So for him to revive his career in PFL is is a credit to him. Especially kind of late, because he was a big deal like 10 years ago. And then he fizzled out like two years later. And here we are about eight years, seven, eight years later, and he's really turned it around. I'm happy for him. He's a nice guy. Yeah, I swear that we have interviewed him before. Twice, you and I. Yeah, I, I've lost track over the years, but yes, he he he's he's a swell guy. He he's a good fighter. He's just had some inconsistencies, mm-hmm. both with his gas tank and ability to take shots or just making mistakes on the ground. But he, a lot of his hype was because he was a f- fantastic wrestler. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he competed because he transferred. With he competed for Penn State and Arizona State, and those are two of the schools that are wrestling factories. Yeah, and he got a a runner up medal at Penn State, and he and he was a national champion at Arizona State, 
And we thought that could translate to him being a big thing for Bellator. And he had success, but he had, you know, some some ups and downs. And he fought at ACB a couple of times. He was fighting overseas. And now he's with PFL. And instead of fighting Chris Wade, who he lost to last year, he gets Brendan Lachnan. And Brendan Lachnan could go from not getting signed on Contender Series because of a late takedown attempt to uh, a million-dollar champion. Yeah, and Brendan Lachman is really good too. So that's that's going to be an interesting fight. How weird is it that we saw Bubba Jenkins revitalize his career pretty late, and we see we saw Will Brooks do the same thing? Yep, you know, and maybe former, Will. I think Will Bellator, should go to PFL. Yeah, f- former Bellator products, and I was just going to say the same thing. We need to get Will Brooks over into PFL so that he can he can get the bag too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, last but not least, the funniest result of the weekend. Michael Venom Page actually lost to Mike Perry in Bare Knuckle FC. <laughs> I didn't watch a second of this fight live. I didn't either. I haven't even seen, listen, I haven't even seen a clip. I just saw some dude, there's there, there's a, a video running around of some dude that reviewed that that fight that said that, and I quote, are you ready for this? Mike Perry is a lion. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yep just for mvp he can't be taken seriously again no i thought that for sure mike perry has been so damaged throughout his his combat sports career that if mvp has been doing professional boxing matches albeit against total cans yeah. and he's been using his flashy striking and his, and his hands to, to have success in bellator albeit again not against the best opposition he could tool Mike Perry because Perry just gets hit too easily. Yeah. And instead, Page took a flash knockdown in the first round. And this went to a sudden victory sixth round. And he lost a majority of decision, even though Perry's... Did you see at least the photo of Perry and his broken jaw? No. <laughs> yeah, per- Perry's face was badly swollen up, but he still got the win. So I guess it's conclusive, other than me being way wrong about how this fight would go. Mike Perry is perfect for Bare Knuckle FC in every which way imaginable. Oh, yeah. He is the poster boy. If you were to imagine, to create, to craft like a a, a Bare Knuckle Gollum, <laughs> that would be Mike Perry. Yep. So for MVP, he took this fight. Bellator granted him the, the, the leave to go to B, BKFC, and now he's on a two- match losing streak because of the Storley fight, which I think could have gone to him, but it was such a bad fight that I don't really care. Like, how do you build up his reputation again? You can only go back to the well of having him fight, you know, guys who are tailor-made to, to, to lose to him so many times before people get bored. I mean, Cyborg I think part of retired, MVP's right? issue. <laughs> Cyborg retired, right? Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, let's see if he can crack the skull again. But I think part of MVP's problem is if you look at his, his bigger fights, I think his hands are, are not, his boxing is not that impressive no. compared to what he can do with his kicks and his knees. Yeah. So if it's just strictly boxing, then that can be a problem. So I just dread to think what MVP would have done on a UFC roster because the, the matchmaking would have been totally different. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been funny. Yep. Non-zero chance you could have lost to Mike Perry for real in the UFC. <laughs> we actually got to think about that now. Would he have lost to Mike Perry at his best in the UFC? <laughs> I, might, I, might, I might submit that to our readers. Now, a uh, couple of things. One, we have no UFC this weekend, uh, but Friday night is one championship. Yeah. They, they're doing it in U.S. primetime. It's on Amazon Prime. So if you got an Amazon subscription yeah. and you love watching their original content, one championship's got to deal with them. 
Uh, but it's Demetrius Johnson against Adriana Moraes, the rematch. If you don't remember how the first fight went, Demetrius Johnson got knocked out. Yes. And knees to the head of a grounded opponent. I think it was a knee to the head of a grounded opponent that hurt him. It might be illegal in the unified rules of MMA, and Luis Saldana is better for one championship than the UFC, um, but it, it's legal there, and Marais knocked out Mighty Mouse, and the, if Usma getting knocked out was a shock, Demetrius Johnson getting KTFO was inconceivable. Right, absolutely. It was, so I think we will have some coverage for it, but um, UFC 278 and Joshua versus Usyk, I did both shows, I covered them both, and if you don't follow me on Twitter and you don't know the news by now, um, I am leaving Bloody Elbow at the end of this month. So this podcast, this episode is our penultimate show, the penultimate Mookie and Crookie. So I got a couple of level change podcasts to do um, towards the end of the month and towards my departure. I'll explain in more detail uh, my new job, but I will be staying in SB Nation. But it is kind of surreal that I won't be covering combat sports anymore. I've had a hell of a time doing this. And Steffi, we're gonna, I'm going to miss doing these shows together. I'll yeah. still be around. You'll still have me on as a guest from time to time. But, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a wild time. It is. And um, woo. it's hard. Um, I'm really happy for you. But it's really, I feel like I'm cut, like part of my arm is being taken from me. <laughs> you know, you are... Um, not only my co-host and my colleague, you're one of my dearest friends. You're like family to me. I know that we'll always be family and friends, but it'll be a hard adjustment for me because um, you're, you're, I don't know how to describe it, uh, indispensable. There's no one out there like you. No one is dependable, loyal, intelligent, witty. I mean, I, I could go on and on. And I, as I sit here with tears rolling down my face because I'll miss you so much. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I was certainly taken aback in, in a positive way by all the feedback that I received across Twitter um, on Sunday. It was that I made my announcement. Um, I will still be a fan. I will still be a combat sports fan. Uh, I just won't be as you know, embedded into it. I won't be watching every USC prelim because my new job kind of just makes it such that it's not practical, but I'll still be keeping up on the big fights. I'll still be making jokes. I'll still be noting that Tim Burke is 518 years old <laughs> and may or may not have shit himself on a public bus. Uh, I'll still be making those jokes and going back and forth. I will still be a part of MMA Twitter. Uh, I'm just moving on to a different, exciting new job. Uh, but yeah, I, I Thank you so much, Steffi. But we still got some shows to do. Yes, indeed. Got some shows this Thursday. Uh, this, well, our recording day is Thursday. And then we'll do one more next Monday and uh, and then the week after. And I also have some picks to make because I don't want to go out on, on losing the Edwards Usman fight. <laughs> I, I still got some picks that I want to get right. I want to go out on a high note. Yeah. So I guess we're going to keep getting Mookie's picks for the level change. And we'll discuss that a little more on the level change, but we'll finish out this whole year uh, getting Mookie's picks so that we can have our official tournament in the right way, the proper way. And hopefully Mookie gets the win this year. He certainly deserves it. Well, you know what? (laughs) If I had, if I had, yeah, Victor won this week. (laughs) If I had known two things 
I'd have changed my Aldo Pigno and Drake had bet on him. Oh, I didn't know that either. I saw that and I was like, golly, this curse, man. But the problem is Yanni the Greek picked Avalishvili. He picked Avalishvili. So I'm like, which curse can override the other? Is this like two negatives equal a positive? And Aldo ends up losing. But Yanni also picked Usman. And then that happened. So the curse is too strong. So I may just make picks for the rest of the year based entirely on what the Greek says. What the Greek says and what Drake bets. You know, if you follow Mookie on Twitter, you will know that that will never happen because one thing that drives him absolutely batshit insane is Yanni the Greek. <laughs> Look, gamble responsibly. And by that, I mean, don't listen to Yanni the Greek. <laughs> exactly. There are many other very good gambling touts there who can provide better advice for you. Not me. I'm not a gambling tout. Neither is Stephanie, no, but no, there I'm are other you. options out there. there That's really all I'm are. saying. I would I would suggest Joey Odessa. He's probably the best tout in the business and one of the longest running. I mean, he is a true odds maker. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but if you keep following Yanni the Greek and you keep taking his, his advice, um, the IRS and other authorities might be knocking on your door right now. Yeah. Also, <laughs> you know who else is a really, really good odds maker? My very first co-host ever way back in 2006 i had I, I was doing a show and um it was it was called mma conversations and then it grew into cage side live big mike Irado from from new jersey he's known on twitter as mad lab he's a oh. big time tout yeah uh, one of my dearest friends i've known him for almost 20 years uh, real life friend, by the way, and he is an excellent, excellent talent. One of the best out there. I mean, he nails it all the time. So if you're looking for a really good talent, uh, those are the two I would suggest is um, Joey Odessa and Mad Lab, Big Mike. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. And anything better than Greek instead of uh, <laughs> yes. instead of get him to the Greek, get him, get away from the Greek. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So on that note, that's it for this week's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Steffi at Crooklyn MMA, the show at Mookie and Crookie. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mookie and Crookie. And you can listen to me and Steffi alongside the victorious Victor Rodriguez on the Level Change podcast on Fridays. Uh, he might have picked Rockhold, but uh, he, he can at least gloat that he picked Edwards because yeah. I think we might have ended up with identical picks that way. But still, he, he was bold enough yeah. to do what few <laughs> dared to do, and he picked Leon Edwards, and it paid off brilliantly. Steffi's on Care, Don't Care with Eugene S. Robinson and John Nash on Mondays. Um, there weren't any cares for this week, right? Because there's no UFC. We did go ahead and pick UFC Paris, and we had a few cares. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what. I didn't know Charles Jourdain was fighting Nathaniel Wood. I that know. just kind of he, showed up out of nowhere. He just fought a few weeks back. Again. Well, it's been a little over a month uh, against Shane Burgos. I thought he won that fight, but... Uh... Yeah, it was. It seems like a really fast turnaround, right? It, it is fast. He should have won that damn fight. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, this goes well for him too, because that could be an absolute banger. Uh, so anyway, if you want to know else, you can find Bloody Elbow Presents podcast. You just wait till the very end. You'll get me talking again in the pre-recorded outro. So, until next time, please take care of yourselves and join us again next week, one last time for our final show. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. 
We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>